Um, let's uh, turn over to the book of Luke, Luke 1. And we're going we're gonna to go through a little bit of Mary's life and talk a little bit about Mary, lessons learned from the life of Mary. And you might think, well, what, you know, it's not like there's a, a huge amount uh, said about Mary, but there is some. And there's some things that, that we can pull out of Mary's life and, and see uh, what she did, how she responded to the word of God. And I want to cover one of those areas at least tonight and we'll see how far we get, but we may, we may only go through uh, one this evening. But Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was, was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and he and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And we'll stop there. But you notice in this story, in the... Uh, the, the announcement of Christ's birth. You have the angel Gabriel, and, and he's coming to Mary, and, and in the very beginning, he's saying, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And then he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so you see a lot of, you have been highly favored, you have been blessed. And so, you know, when we hear those words, many times in our, in our uh, mind, in our spirit, we're like, yes, that means good things coming my way, which it does. But sometimes we have to look into the spiritual realm to understand really what this means. Because we're thinking material blessings many times. We're thinking blessed and highly favored things are coming my way. But in Mary's life, you see a commission coming her way. You see an assignment coming her way. And the thing is, God truly did see her as favored and highly favored and blessed. And that was the reason he was choosing her. And I really do wonder, you know, because Mary would have been young. You know, she would have been less than 20 years old in her teenage years, and she's being chosen. And it makes you wonder, what did she do to get God's attention that early in life? You know, it's not like she had been doing all of these things and, and God, you know, chose her. But, you know, God's famous for choosing people that are young and, and calling them out at a young age and setting them apart for a purpose. And so he chooses her and calls her highly favored, calls her blessed. And for a split moment, you're probably thinking like she would, yes, this is, we're going to have some amazing things coming my way. I am blessed. I am highly favored. And then she hears the commission. She hears the assignment. You're going to conceive a son. And it's going to be the son or the Messiah 
that is coming to save Israel and to save the world, the one that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. And she says, how can this be? I, I do not know a man. I've not been with a man. So how is this possible? And it's just as Pastor Brad said this morning, but with God, all things are possible. But now comes in the reality. Now, whether it happened right then when Gabriel is talking to her, because there's some things in their culture that are very different than today's culture. Today's culture, you know, we have many, many people that have unwed pregnancies. And our culture does not stone a person for that. But their culture did. And so in her time, in the Jewish community, the Jewish culture, then that meant if, if you ended up pregnant and you had no husband, then they knew that you had sinned. And they could very easily, they had every right to take you out and stone you. And so in this moment, she's facing the possibility of being stoned. So it's not just receiving the commission, but there's the, the consequence or the fear that comes along with it. And, and really what I'm trying to do here is humanize this story a little bit because I think sometimes we just think, oh, yeah, Mary, you know, the angel came. She was pregnant. She had the baby Jesus, and, you know, the rest of the story is. And we don't really think about what she had to go through. We don't really think about what she said yes to. But there, there had to be these thoughts of what if. What if they take me out and stone me? Any teenage girl has dreams of being married and her family, her children, her aspirations of life, what life is going to hold for her. And in this moment, all of those things that she personally would have dreamt of herself, could have very easily been dashed to nothing. Because let's say they didn't stone her. But we know Joseph, as he hears, he thinks that she's been unfaithful. So that's another part of the uh, what, what's going to happen if somebody hears, oh, Mary's pregnant and she's not been with anybody. She's engaged, but she's not yet married. And Joseph knows it's not him. So how's he going to respond? My wife-to-be has been with some other man. And until the angel came to him, that's what he thought. And with his compassionate heart, he's thinking, well, I'll just put her aside silently, not publicly, so that her name isn't uh, shamed. So he was compassionate. He had every right to take her before, uh, you know, the... the the teachers of the law and the, the court of that time. But he didn't. But these are the things that she would have faced. She would have faced the fact that if she goes out and tells everybody, God visited me. The angel Gabriel visited me and said, I was going to be with child, conceived by the Holy Spirit. How well do you think that's going to go over? You're crazy and you're a liar. They would have said that she was like, blasphemy. So the, you're crazy, you're a liar, we're going to stone you. Joseph doesn't want to marry you, so now you're an unwed mother who chances are you're going to be alone for the rest of your life and no one's going to want to marry you now. These are the things that she's facing. In that split moment, she, those may not have been going through her head because she's in the presence of, of a very large angel that's giving her this assignment. But as soon as the angel leaves, I'm sure these questions begin to run through her mind. But she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And she says, I am a maidservant of the Lord. And that's the key that I want to focus on this evening. I am the Lord's servant. So in this, we see Mary allows her whole life to be changed with the commission of God. This isn't just a, Mary, can you put your life on hold for like a month and do this little project for me, and then you can get back on track with your own thing? 
Her whole life is being changed right now. Like train tracks shifted a completely different course. And she says, yes, I am the servant of the Lord. And really what I want to think about tonight, really what I want you to, to evaluate in your life, do we have a heart like that? Are we responding to the Lord like that? The Lord, whatever you may ask, and this is a pretty big one. You know, she's, she's actually, it's, a, it's a, a life question, a life shift. Sometimes God gives us those. Sometimes it's not always such a huge shift. Sometimes it might be a smaller shift. But in this calling, in this commission, in this moment of time, this is a big one. And sometimes God's asking us for a big one. I remember years ago when I, I, was, I was 18, I was just out of high school. That summer I had went to, I was still uh, young enough to go to church camp. It was my last year to go as, as one of the attendees. And at first I, I, they did, couldn't even fit me in. And last minute I get a phone call. We had an opening. Uh, can you come? And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, because it was very last minute. I had a job and I was working and, you know, worked all that out. So I was able to go. And so I went to camp. And that year, God dramatically touched my life. And in that moment, before that, because I'd already applied to go to Glenville State, and which is a party school, you know, probably similar to WVU, but it's not, it would not have been a good environment. The girl I was going with and rooming with, we weren't really good for each other, honestly. I mean, we, we got into trouble more than anything. And in this moment, when I went to that camp, God touched me that week. I went out in the spirit. I don't even know who preached. I have no idea who preached, but that was the year that, that Dr. Rodney Howard Brown had went to Toronto, and the, the joy of the Lord had hit that place, and there was all kinds of uh, criticism around that and around the things that were manifesting, uh, not with just joy, but with all the extra stuff that came out of that that wasn't necessarily spiritual, and then, you know, people try to shut it down because, well, that's not of God, you know, this is and that's not, but we need to keep everything under control, and so there was a lot of criticism with that, but in this camp, the joy of the Lord had hit the place, and I don't remember who was preaching, but in that moment when I'm laying on the floor, I God gave me a vision. I don't even remember if it was all in one night or if he had, if there were different nights. The whole week was just blurred together. But that week, he told me, I don't want you to go to this particular college. I want you to go to a Bible school. And so in that moment, I had a decision to make because this is like July. School starts in a month. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to say yes to this? And my whole plans completely shifted and changed. Or am I going to stay the course? You know, uh, my friend could be upset because I'm backing out on her. I've already been accepted to this school. Now I've got to change. There's no Bible schools in my area. You know, we've got to figure out where I'm going all of a sudden. But that, that as soon as I got home that week, the, we got the ball rolling. Fortunately, I had uh, supportive parents. Honestly, they probably were like, thank the Lord for speaking to her because I wasn't on the greatest path at that point. And so they, they, it was probably an answer to prayer for them. But they began to help me. This was before <laughs> Internet, so you have to, uh, you know, do the research by phone and, and mail and all of those things. So we started researching. And what Pentecostal... Uh, colleges there were. We ended up going up and visiting one in Pennsylvania, in Phoenixville, close to Valley Forge. And so we went up there, we visited it, 
And at the time, honestly, it did. It used to be an old war hospital during uh, the Civil War. And it, they had taken some of the buildings that they had put mentally ill patients in and, and transformed those, those rooms. I mean, the college, there was an old guard shack. I mean, half the college looked very run down. They were still in the, in the rebuilding uh, phases of it at that point. So it really wasn't a whole lot to look at. But I knew that God was saying this one. And so we went ahead and put the application in. And I went home. By this point, it's already August. School starts in like a week and a half, something like that, two weeks. I start packing. I've not been accepted yet, but I started packing. And it's the day before I'm supposed to leave, and I get a letter in the mail that I've been accepted. My bag's already sitting by the door. I'm already ready to go, but I hadn't been accepted yet. And so the day before... I mean, my parents were probably, like, really in a whirlwind. You know, you don't understand those things until you're a parent later yourself, you know. But they, they really held it together well. <laughs> and then they, they drove me up, uh, like, the next day and, you know, helped me get settled and all of that and, and then left me, you know, eight hours away by myself. And, but that was a life shift for me. And it was a moment in time when I had to say yes to God for his commission. Now, I had no idea what, what would happen years down the road. No idea. Because in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to go to school and get a degree in teaching, get a degree in psychology. I wasn't sure yet. And so in my mind, I'm, I'm going a completely different route. But God was preparing me. And God was rooting things out of me, uprooting things. God was purifying me. God was, was sanctifying me, setting me apart for a work that, that took a while to get to that place. And sometimes we don't always understand the calling and we don't know what it's going to look like. Mary didn't know she was going to have to take her baby and run to Egypt. Mary didn't know that her baby was necessarily going to go to the cross. Mary didn't know all of these things, but she said yes to the commission. She said yes to the assignment. She said yes when, when he asked, would you receive this? And she says, let it be done to me that I am a servant of the Lord. And even if these things face me, all the fear, all the doubt, all the what ifs, all the I don't knows, but let it be done to me according to your word, according to what I was purposed for. See, God has put in you a purpose. And sometimes that purpose, that commission, that calling, it, it's in you. It's already in you. But sometimes we don't always know exactly what it is. But sometimes we're being purified. Sometimes we're being sanctified and set apart. Sometimes we're going through the testings before we know what the calling is. Sometimes we know the calling, and then we've got a hundred other assignments after that to fulfill the calling. Because those hundred other assignments are things that are testing our character. Sometimes we get the calling beforehand, and sometimes it comes later on after we've been through a uh, hundred other assignments. And then he gives us the calling and says, you're ready. Let's walk in this. But Mary was willing. She was willing. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. I want to read this scripture to you. Romans 8, 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. You know, and I thought about that for Mary's situation. If her mind would have been stayed upon the things of the flesh, it would have been very easy to walk away from that assignment. 
because she would, well, what if this, and what if, you know, they could take me out, they have every right to stone me, what if people think that I'm crazy, what if they think I'm a liar, what if, nobody is going to think highly of me at all, everybody is going to think that I've sinned, I've lived a holy life, but they're going to think that I've sinned, they're going to accuse me of unholy things, they're going to think that I have done this thing, and I am going to be very alone, I'm going to be shunned by society, and if she would have stayed in that place, she would have had the mind of earthly things, of carnal things, and the fear. But she had to keep her mind focused on the assignment of heaven, on the things of God. And that's the difference in how we have to face things in life. Because it says if we are going to walk in the spirit, then we have to keep our minds according to the spirit, on the things of the spirit. Which means if he has given us something to do, and I'm not just talking about a major calling in life. Like I said, sometimes there's the hundred little assignments before we, before we are, are called out to do something or the, the purpose for what we're created for is highlighted. So either way, whether it's in the beginning or halfway through, he's still asking things of us. And these little things add up to this moment. And when he's, he's speaking to us, requiring things of us, we have to keep our mind on the things of the spirit. We have to know what that purpose is. Even if it's just things like you need to change your friends. We have to realize that's not just a, oh, you know, I think it'd be a good idea. It's a requirement for the ultimate mandate. We had to do that. We had to change our friends quite a few times, actually. In fact, I think the only friends that, that we have left, like old friends that we have left, is, is Brian and Erica from years and years ago. Because we have went through friendships over the years, but not everybody wanted to go where we were desiring to go. Even Christian friends many times, they're not going to necessarily line up. When we decided to dig in more for the things of healing, for the things of, of spiritual growth, power, living a victorious life, not everybody was for that. When we decided to go to the mission field, people began to pray, you know, because they thought we were deceived. So you've got Christian friends around you thinking that you're off track. Well, you know... Harrisville's a mission field. You know, why do you need to leave home? Because God called us. Well, I don't think he called you. Well, you know, he's probably not going to tell you if he called me. And the thing is, you, you have to know the purpose and that's why, why I'm saying the strength has to come from within you and that's where Mary had to dig in because it has to come from within the purpose that God has called you for you have to realize why he's given it to you and what the result is for because if not you'll look to the the praises of people the applaud of people the confirmation of people and then go, oh, you know, maybe I'm not then. You know, I, we're really getting some resistance on this. I'm really feeling some, some pushback on this. But if I don't understand the purpose of the calling and the eternal purpose of it, then I could be looking at the faces of people, looking for the confirmation of family, friends, community, and thinking that it comes through that. But if I understand, no, he's given me this particular purpose and this assignment, and there's a, a certain people on the other side of this that is expecting, and, and, or maybe not even expecting, they may not even be knowing, but I've been sent for that purpose. We're here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. There are people that, that are going to be impacted because you are here in this very moment of time for a purpose. And those people are going to be influenced and impacted 
by your life. And so the tests that we're going through or the yeses, the Lord, I am your servant. I, I will do what you're asking me to do. And sometimes, you know, he, it might not be a, I want you to move. I want you to go halfway around the world. It may not be that. It may be, I want you to work on this attitude that's been going on <laughs> because it's affecting the people around you. Or I want you to keep your, your attitude under control, your anger under control. It may be, I, I want you to uh, trust me in your finances. I want you to commit this per certain part of your life to me. It may come in, in smaller packages. It, it may feel like a big package. But sometimes we like to look at this calling thing and make it big when what if it's just at that moment he's asking you to commit something to him that's not necessarily will you go to the nations, but it's will you give me this bad attitude and replace it with a good one? <laughs> will you trust me in this and, and allow me to work through you and trust in my word on this instead of you trying to figure this out and handle it yourself? Sometimes the calling that we're called to at the moment isn't wrapped up in a, in a yes, I will go here or go there. But the burden or the assignment he's giving to us has to do with the mandate later. And many times we may not get to that if we don't say yes now. And if we don't fulfill what he's asking us to now. And then we're still praying, God, you know, send me here, send me there. I'll preach to this, I'll preach to that. And, but we won't, we won't change the one little thing he's asking us to change. Or we won't love the one unlovable person that's in our life. God, I don't want to love that. Well, you know, I loved you. And they need to see my love. Because they've been around people all their life that have not been loving. And so therefore, that's why they're responding the way they're responding. And I need you to show the love of Christ to them. These are just different scenarios. Sometimes it may look like that. Sometimes it may be a character thing. But we don't look at the character thing as a calling. <laughs> but when you look at the word of God time and time and time again, it had to do with obedience. Obedience. And it had to do with their character. What happened with Saul? Saul was anointed. Saul was anointed, but he walked away from God and did not uphold his character. He sought the praises of men more than God, which means he trusted in men's reactions and what they could give him instead of trusting in God's ways. And as a result, the anointing leaves and it's placed on another individual. So God is looking for obedience, blessed and highly favored, honor. honor posi honorable positions sometimes do not feel honorable. You know, we think, oh, that's such an honorable position. That's a position of honor. But think about this for a second. What happens in honorable positions many times behind the scenes doesn't necessarily feel all honorable because you've got to put other people first and you've got to put yourself to the side and you have to protect people and you've got to sometimes love them when they're not loving you. That doesn't feel honorable. Going to the cross does not feel honorable. It doesn't feel like a position of honor. But in heaven... It is. That's why I say you have to keep your mind on the spiritual things. That's why you have to know the purpose. That's why you have to see from the now to the eternity and understand the end result. 
What is this for? What is the end result of this? Because if I don't understand the end result, I'll only look at the here and now, and I'll only base my decisions on how I feel and what's going on around me and what I can get out of it. But if I understand the end result, and if I understand eternity, and if I understand the, the reward from God and the fact that all of these people are impacted and will get to taste the, the wonders of heaven because of what I do here, then it changes the commission. That the commission is not given to us because we get applauded. The commission is given to us because he sees something on the inside of us and he says, I believe in you. I believe in you to carry this. I believe in you to carry this commission. I believe in you to carry this assignment, Mary. And if you only say yes and carry this assignment, it's not going to be an easy one. But you are blessed and highly favored. The reason you're blessed and highly favored is because of what I've seen in your life and what you have the ability to do and what I know you will pull through and do. And so she did. She did. Blessed and highly favored does not always feel blessed and highly favored in the world's terms. But you have to see past that and understand eternity. And man, the rewards that God is going to hand out and give to people, and we have no idea. The unspokens, the no names of this life. You have no idea. The rewards that people will receive because they gave out of their heart and they did things that nobody saw. And that came from a place of obedience and character. Not signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are good. But we have to keep the character in check. Because signs and wonders, even... even in Corinthians, it talks about how things can be like a clashing symbol if we don't have love. We can prophesy till the cows come home. But if we don't have love and we don't do it with the right motive, then it's nothing. In fact, it is something. It sounds more like a clashing symbol, which means it's an irritation to people. So we can carry great prophetic things. We can carry great giftings. We can carry the great supernatural power of God. But if we don't use it right and from the right motive or from the right heart, then it becomes an irritation because it can be boastful. It can be done in the wrong way because someone's seeking uh, praises for themselves and not keeping their eyes on God. So honor gets its strength from within, not from without, from within. Honorable vessels must understand their purpose, know the why behind their purpose, or they'll walk in the wrong motive. So they get the strength from within. And the purpose or the obligation or what it is that he's given to you, it lies in you. It's already there. It's just that sometimes he's got to purify it. He's got to sanctify it. Turn over to uh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. You know, as I was telling Pastor Brad last evening, um, before we ever went into the mission field, we were, we were in a church service. And at the time, our pastor had preached a sermon. I don't even, I don't remember what the sermon was about, but I, I knew in that service that God was asking me to take on children's church full-time. And that was, you know, in, in a smaller church a lot of times was a difficult thing to find because a lot of times 
people are, you know, they need to be in service to be fed, and they don't feel like, if I miss out on every single service, then how am I going to get fed? But I had gotten to the point I was feeding myself that I didn't need to have uh, that time because I was I was doing it through the week myself, so there was the overflow. But the whenever he said that, there was something in the sermon that he spoke out, and I knew, I knew that this is what God was asking me to do. It made me a little bit nervous because there was still that mindset of, okay, that's a commitment. That's an every Sunday, every uh, Sunday evening, Sunday morning thing. And so that there's going to be work required with that. There's going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be in services. I'm going to be with, you know, 20, 25 kids in, in the back, uh, you know, every single week. And so I prayed about it for a week before I, I went and, and talked to him about it. And come to find out he had been praying for someone to fill that position because there had never been anybody from the time that the church started that had taken that position full time. It had always been volunteers and it changed every week. So, you know, the structure changes when you get when you have new people back there every week. And so anyway, I had taken uh, that one. But when I took it, one, I knew it wasn't just, I wasn't just filling in. It was a commission in me. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just filling in because pastor needs somebody to fill in. It was a commission in me that, that I knew my assignment was not to just stand there and teach a Bible story. My assignment was to get them ready for life. My assignment was to get them spiritually grounded. My assignment was to give them spiritual truths and for them to understand the things uh, spiritually that were in the word of God that would affect their future. So I didn't just teach about, you know, yes, I taught about David and Goliath, but I taught in the, the scope of David, I taught about worship. So I'm teaching them spiritual aspects about things that are going to grow them spiritually. I taught a whole month on prayer and then got them prayer journals. And then at the end of class, the last 10 minutes of class, these are like five to 10 year olds. And, and I would have them spread out in the room and, and put uh, just praise and worship music on and make them uh, journal and, and write down prayers and begin to pray because we spent a whole month on prayer. So then I begin to implement that. And then we taught on tithe an offering and people think tithe an offering to a six-year-old yeah they they learned it they get birthday money and it's a lot easier to teach them when they're five six seven years old than teach them when they're 30 and all their money's already going out and it's not a lifestyle and so these things, for me, it was a purpose. It was a commission to get into them the spiritual grounding of a Christian life from the time that they were young. It wasn't just go back there and fill some time and give them some cookies and some, you know, red dye fruit punch and, and then, you know, hand them back to their parents in 45 minutes. And when I say commission, it's like your whole heart is in it. You're in it 100% because you're seeing the eternal value. You're not just seeing it like, well, you know, am I going to get accolades for this? You know, am I, is anybody going to see what I'm doing? You know, well, yeah, it made me feel good to say yes to it for the first two weeks, but then that kind of wore off, and now I don't feel like it anymore. It was a determination in my spirit that it's 100% all the time. I do this with my whole heart all the time because there's an eternity wrapped to it. There's an eternity tied to it. And this is my commission. This is my assignment. And this is what I will be judged for. Each one of us have things in our lives right now that God is asking us because the Christian walk is a journey. It's a journey. And if we're not going from one place to another, and if we've stopped in our journey, then we've got to question what's going on. So our walk with Christ, Christ got up every day and said, guys, we're going here. Guys, we're going there. We're going to go to this city because these people need to hear about the gospel. We're going to go to this city because these people need healing. We're going to go to this city because the word needs preached. Every day was a journey. Every day was a learning. 
So in our lives, our walk with God, every day is a journey. Every, every stage of the way. If we're not we're, if we're not working towards anything or if we've hit a place where, where we're not allowing God to do something in us, then we need to stop and say, God, what is it that you're asking of me right now? What is it that you're wanting to purify in me right now? Because none of us have hit the perfection stage yet. So we've all got to be working on something. So let's read this last uh, scripture. Second Timothy to 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So first of all, we see that in the house of God, there are, there are different articles, different vessels, gold and silver, wood and clay. Wood can be burnt up. Clay can be broken. Gold and silver, on the other hand, even through fire, it melts down, but it can be reused into something else. It can be, it's purified, and it can be formed into another vessel. And you bring out your gold, you bring out your silver in the moments of honor, right? When someone honorable comes over, then you bring, uh, we don't do it so much in, in today's time because we're very practical people. We're like, oh, <laughs> there's 30 people here. Let's get out the styrofoam. <laughs> Let's get out the paper plates so we don't have to wash dishes. But in, in you know, older times, even, a, you know, less than a century ago, people would get the good china out of their china cabinet, right? And bring out the good stuff in the moments of honor, the special times. And that's what God is saying here. There's, there's vessels of honor and then vessels of dishonor. Vessels that can be used for just the everyday and then vessels that are honorable because they've been purified. They've been set apart. They've gone through the purification process. Not that they're done, but they've gone through many purifications. And then it says in verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, meaning from dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then it goes through, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call up Call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Do you see what this is about? A person of honor will put themselves aside and bring patience on and bring the fact that someone else and their salvation is more important than how they're feeling at the moment. No matter how frustrated or angry they are, if they have to take a few moments and get themselves together and then bring the person in, sit down and correct and talk it through in love in order for them to come back into salvation and not get off track in their Christian walk, praying that they come back to God. But it's done through the, the purpose of honor. It's done through a way that you're exercising patience, you're exercising love, you're not causing disputes, you're not flying off the handle because, well, this is my opinion and this is what I think. Because that's what we all want to do in our flesh. Well, this is what I think. They're not going to tell me. I'm going to tell them. And that's what we'll do, but that does nothing. It drives somebody away, and it doesn't bring them closer to God. So what he's saying is you have to, in order to be a vessel of honor, then you've got to bring in the fruits of the Spirit. You've got to bring in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, self-control, goodness. I think I missed goodness. Bringing those things in. Yes, they have to be exercised. 
They're not, it's not like the Holy Spirit just comes upon you and you're like, oh, I just feel to walk in patience. I just feel this overwhelming need to, to walk in the fruits. Of there are moments when the flesh rises up and you've got to put it under and say, no, I am going to operate in self-control. I'm not going to allow pride to come in. I'm going to operate in love and I'm going to handle this correctly. I'm going to make sure that, that this is an opportunity that I do everything that I can to keep this relationship or to keep this person intact with God and not push them further away. That's a vessel of honor. So you can see honor comes from the very nature of God within. And it's got to be pulled up from the inside because it's not going to come from the outside. It's not going to come from the accolades of people. You're not going to hear a bunch of people around you in those moments going, yay, you're doing so great at exercising patience. Good job. No. Chances are the enemy's going to send somebody and say, yeah, you tell them what you think. I think you should just go down there and tell them. That's probably who the devil's going to send. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should just blow up at them right now. Vessels of honor. Mary was a vessel of honor that put herself, her own dreams. It doesn't mean that her dreams didn't come true, but in the moment, it may feel like they're not. God has every desire to want to bring the things that we want to pass, but most of all, he wants our whole heart. Most of all, he wants to know that we will serve him first, and as we serve him, and as we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means all rightness in his kingdom, all his kingdom principles, the way he operates, when we do that, then he wants to bring all these other things unto us. And we don't have to strive after him. They come after us. Minister, can you come to the keyboard, please? You know, many times, callings, things that God is asking us to do, they're for the long term. And, you know, we, we are in a very microwave generation. And we have to fight against that, you know? We're, we have to fight against the fact that everybody wants everything right now. And we want quick results to everything. Some things are going to take, well, I think uh, Pastor Mike that was just here, Manuel, said the same thing. Are you going to be in it for the long haul? Are you going to outstand the devil? Is that what he said? Out, outlast the devil. Because the enemy will... will try to wear you out. Really, that's what he's trying to do. Just keep, you know, picking and, and sending this and sending that to try to wear you out. But the Lord is saying, will you continue to stand? Will you continue to operate in my kingdom, in my principles, in the fruits of the Spirit, in my nature? Because these are the real tests You know, I think Jamie sent me a, a scripture this week and, and was asking about a certain scripture. And I love that scripture, uh, Proverbs 17, 3, when it talks about uh, the crucibles for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the hearts. And it doesn't, that's very different than tempting. Understand, temptation is from sin. Testing is not, is not sin. Testing is when we're going through a trial, and, and it's, a, it's just like you take a test in school, right? Taking the test itself is not sinful. It's testing to see what you know and whether or not you're, you have the knowledge and the application. So a test is to see how we're going to come out of that moment. Will we come out? being tested through fire, tested through that moment, tested through a situation, and then do we come out at the end with God saying, good job, good job. I saw that character in you. I saw that, that love coming out of you, and I know that it was hard, but you did it. You allowed me to work through you. You allowed me to shine, and you, you loved the unlovable. 
You continued and you were persistent even when you felt like giving up. You were committed even when you felt like quitting. These are the moments that God looks at. That's the testing. He tests the heart. And many times we don't know what we're even capable of until we go through a test. And then we come through and go, okay, I've been through that. I know how to get through that now. I can help somebody else get through that. You know when, when gold is, is refined, when silver is refined, it's, it's brought to a certain temperature and then all the impurities rise to the top. It's called dross. And that dross has to be skimmed off of the top and then thrown out. It's all the impurities. It's all the, the bad stuff, the, the impurities from the pure silver or pure gold. And God is, that's what it's under the heat is what makes it come to the top. It's the very thing that separates from the real, the real thing, the true thing from the impurity. Only then can you see the impurity. It's the heat of the fire that makes that impurity rise. But God the Father wants to scrape that off and throw it away. And then it's not mixed in with the batch anymore. That's what he wants to do with each one of us. When we're in the fire, don't be so quick to jump out. Because a lot of times that's what's happening. We want to jump out. Oh, things are getting hot. I just want to jump out. Don't jump out. I'm telling you, don't jump out. God's purifying you. I'm not saying that he's sending temptations. The enemy sends, some, sends temptations. He's the one that sends sin. The devil does. God does not tempt. But he does see what we go through. And he sees the testing of our hearts. And whether or not we come through that fire with his character or keeping a hold of the junk. And the bad part about it is, if we keep hold of the junk, chances are we're probably going to have to go through that fire again. And that's not fun. And then people start getting frustrated. You know, you get frustrated when you have to keep going through the same thing over and over and over. Why am I dealing with this? Well, maybe because you got past it. <laughs> maybe you're holding on to that thing and, and you need to just let God throw it out. God, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anger. I don't want this issue with me feeling like I have to control everything. God, deal with my heart. Show me the things. You know, sometimes I, I probably will get into at the turn of the year things to do with the heart because I'm telling you what, there are things that get tied to our heart that we have no idea. We think they're there and we like them because they protect us from feeling hurt or uh, defenseless. But they're not there for our good. And those are things sometimes that we've got to release to God. 